welcome back to another episode of Tinfoil Hat. Tinfoil Hat. Come with me into the waters of conspiracy with Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. Mr. Sam Tripoli. With my friend Ryan Davis. Uh, hi, Ryan. We're the like the first gay couple of conspiracy theories. I think it's beautiful, man. I love their partner. What the fuck are you guys even talking about? Are you ready to get your mind blown? Revolution will be podcasted. And welcome to another exciting, fun episode of Tinfoil Hat. As always, I'm Sam Tripoli. Joining me in studio is my ace boom crew, my partner in crime, the most off-the-grid dude you'll ever meet in your life, Ryan Davis, everybody. Excited, man. I've missed you, Sam. Dude, I miss you too. It's been two weeks on the road. I even miss Aaron and is not believing in anything we're talking about. I miss all you guys. I just can't thank you guys for all the positive uh, uh, feedback we're getting on all the episodes and just your guys' suggestions on episodes. You guys want us to do a whole bunch of stuff, and we're very interested in it. Uh, we're super excited about everything. Let's get into uh, stuff. Obviously, guys, you guys got follows on Twitter. We changed the handle. It is now Tinfoil Hat Cast on Twitter, so check that out. Uh, the Instagram is a jumping. Our good friend Ryan Davis is rocking that. He's putting up all the new stuff that we got going on. So, so go to Tinfoil Hat Pod on Instagram. You guys on Reddit are killing it. Go to reddit.com backslash r backslash tinfoil hat show i got yelled at for not putting that on there i got the name right so there it is it's reddit.com backslash r backslash tinfoil hat show go check us out more t-shirts than ever we have more t-shirts on tinfoil hat than any other place that's right we got all your favorite t-shirts we've added three new t-shirts we have pot smoking biker jesus that's a limited one we also have where's the other one that i love mind blown you guys wanted the mind blown t-shirts that is available that is also limited edition that is the fan art from the t from you guys the listeners and then i'm super excited aaron hasn't seen this yet aaron this is our new shirt it's called tin foil hat question everything and look at the little sleepy mouse who's the sleepy mouse right there that is aaron the little sleepy teacup look at that aaron look at you you're a teacup with purple nipples so congratulations these are all available at all comedy t-shirts.com and tomorrow night is the big show that's right it's a tinfoil hat comedy show night with conspiracies and political comedy it is a special event it is at the ice house that is at i uh, just you can get your tickets now icehousecomedy.com eddie bravo jimmy door uh, who else? Brendan Walsh, Gareth Reynolds, Vanessa Johnston, and my uh, our, our ace Bunku, another one, John Toll will be there. That's in the main room. In the side room, we're doing a live podcast. We're doing a swap cast with the one and only legend of the game, our good friend Greg Carwood from the Higher Side Chats. Eddie Bravo will be on. Jimmy Dore will be on it. Stevie Weeby talking about getting bit by a demon. He'll be on that. And who else? 
who el- who knows who else will jump on. So we're super excited about that. And uh, yeah, that's it, homeboy. We got a. I mean, I'm pretty. I'm so excited about having our guest on. Yeah, this might be the most prestigious. Oh, real quick, final thing. Sorry, had. before I bring him in, the Patreon is going and it's rocking. Go to Patreon, Patreon.com, backslash, Patreon.com, backslash, tin oil hat, tin, hold on, tin oil hat. There you go. Go to Tim Patreon, backslash, tin foil hat. We are going to be putting up content on that, and we're going to go simple with it, right? We're looking for a buck, one buck a month. We're going to give you a ton of content. We'll give you other stuff for $5 or $10. But we're, I know everybody's begging everybody for cash, but this is to get the show going. We want to build up everything to make it a super-duper spiritual skepticism podcast. I dig it. So joining us via the power of Skype, uh, I'm so excited about having this young man on. He is a uh, legend of the game. Did we just lose him? No, there he is. Yeah. But nope. I've lost you. I, I can't see you. You can't see us? Yeah, how about that? Can you see us now? I see you're frozen. I oh. see an, a frozen image of you. Okay, do you want us to call you back, or we just want to do this so you can hear us? It's well, whichever you. you prefer. You want, me to, you want me to call you back? Uh, does that screw up everything for you? you no, call me back? not at all, man. We no, are I, a, we're, we're, we're in the moment podcast. We're, uh, okay, we're, call we're, me back. We'll yeah. call you right we back. We fly by the seat of our pants. Yeah, we're, we're not afraid. Technical we're difficulties. Difficulties? We got some technical dickities. Aaron, how do you think the podcast is going so far? Best podcast ever? It's, it's as I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, are we back? Good, I can see you. Good. Okay, uh, we are proud to have our our guest on for this episode. He's directed such movie classics as My Cousin Vinny, Clue, Nuns on the Run. He's written uh, some amazing shows. Uh, if you got our British listeners, our European listeners, will know him from Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. And he has a brand new book out called The Samaritans. Please welcome Jonathan Lynn, everybody. Welcome to the show, sir. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, super huge fan of uh, all your work and the range of work. I feel like it's almost like you're uh, an old school direct, old school director, and I mean that with all love. In that your your projects uh, range. There's not just one style. We see a lot now with a lot of directors and writer. They get a niche and they just mine that niche. Where you seem to go from my cousin Vinny to uh, you know yes prime. Yes, Minister. Yes, Prime Minister. That seems to be a nice spectrum of uh, entertainment. Yeah, don't forget the yeah, whole nine yards. I, I like to do different things. You didn't mention one of my favorites, which is called The Whole Nine Yards, which is a comedy thriller with Bruce Willis and Matthew Perry. And that was. I love that movie. And this yeah. dis- distinguished gentleman, Sergeant Bilko, Greedy. I mean, yeah. 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 They were fun. Why do you You don't see that so much anymore Do you think that's just the way Hollywood is now You get a niche, you get a lane They want you to stay in that lane And it's, and it's yeah, hard That's why I don't. That's why I haven't made any films for years Because you get really typecast And they only want you to do a certain kind of film After Nuns on the Run came out Which is about two guys dressed as nuns Trying to get away from a gang they're members of uh, and, and they run into a convent And discover that if they put on nuns habits people will think they're women yeah and uh after that i was offered every drag movie in hollywood <laughs> I, I, I you know they and of course i said no to all of them because i felt they'd done that yeah but 
They, they, whatever it is you've just done, if it went well, they want you to do the same thing. If it didn't go well, they, they never want to see you again. But if it, if it, if it did go well, they want exactly the same thing again. Is there it, like uh, in Hollywood, I, uh, my, my girlfriend produces uh, concert films, music videos and stuff like that. She works with a very successful director in that. But she always told me about director purgatory or director uh, penalty box where like if you have a bad movie, you're, you kind of yeah. sit in this box for like a year, year and a half before That's they... Movie jail, people call Movie it. jail, right? Uh, yeah. I know you had a, a string of success. Were you ever put in movie jail? Jonathan? Oh, yes. After Clue, which opened and, and didn't do well to start with, it's become hugely successful, but it didn't, wasn't when it opened. Uh, I was unemployable. I couldn't get a movie for four years. So what did you and, do? I went back to Britain and did Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister, and I directed three shows at the National Theatre. And uh, and then uh, I had an idea for Nuns on the Run, and I, I wrote it, but nobody wanted it. So I, I, I was I was hired to write it by Warner Brothers, but they didn't want it because they said take out all this theological dialectic. And I said, no, no, it's just jokes about the church. <laughs> so let me <laughs> ask you something. You, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You were, you were... So, so then I, you know, I, I rewrote it British and did it with did it as a British movie. That's amazing. George didn't pay for it because no studio would pay for it. Would and you? He, do he you? Was great. Do you feel yeah. that? Um... Do you feel what was your thoughts on where uh, Hollywood is right now in terms of the box office? Because what we've seen now is uh, they had a historically bad year. Uh, people aren't going to the movies. It seems like the only movies people want to go to now are are superhero movies. I have my theories on that. Uh, I, I like a lot of the movies you've done. These classics, in a weird way, they would be seen as indie flicks if they came out right now. They wouldn't necessarily be getting. Or maybe I'm wrong. No, you're absolutely right. And furthermore, well, several of them were indie flicks, and and uh, I now would not be able to make a studio film. Studio films are all the same. I think they deserve their record bad year. I, I went to the movies recently and went to see Dunkirk, which which I liked. It was a wonderful movie. A wonderful movie, and there were six trailers for films that were absolutely indistinguishable. I couldn't tell one from another. They all had different titles, and but they all had the same stuff. They had robots, cars flying through the air, explosions. Uh, I, I mean, just they were the same movie. And uh, if I were a young member of the public, I would not go to see all of them, and I might go to see none because they're all the same. And uh, so, you know, really the problem is that that movies now are being made by committees of executives. Oh, yeah. Not, they're not really movie people. They're just, all they're interested in is is franchising something. They might as well be making McDonald's hamburgers. Well, I agree with that, too. I think a big reason why you see uh, superhero movies doing so well, because I do enjoy them. I do enjoy them. I don't know what this says about me, but I do enjoy them. But I, I think good ones, but there's very yeah, few. I would totally agree with that. The reason I think they do better is because, especially in Los Angeles, the movies are so expensive. It is. So it's like, let's say I go see a movie at, at the movie theater on Hollywood and Highland. It is a it's twenty dollars, twenty two dollars to see the movie. So I'm bringing my girl. So now I'm 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 forty five bucks in, not including the parking, which they had the balls they charge me five dollars to park there, and then yeah. all the all the drinks and all this. I'm over fifty dollars. If, if you've got kids, you've got a babysitter. 
Yep. So, you know, and you know, yeah, it's it's crazy. And you know, other businesses, other forms of show business, they charge you according to the price of the value of what you're seeing. So if you go and see a small play, you pay very little for a ticket. If you go and see a huge musical, you might pay a lot of money for a ticket. And that's the only sense. But every movie is priced the same. So whether you go and see, uh, you know, some tiny independent film right. that, that, right. that costs 1.8 million. Or whether you go and see Wonder Woman, it's the same price. That's crazy. And it's just like you know, and again, you know, there's this whole argument that like Vegas, the movie industry, and the music industry was all better when it was ran by the mob because they understood, you know, lost leaders and stuff like that. And it wasn't like what I call these Terminator suits, who just everything is about a dollar. Like now in Las Vegas, I just went to Las Vegas, and they're charging for parking. And I'm going to tell you, nobody's going to go to that hotel because nobody's going to want to pay for parking. They never charge you for parking back in the day. That was the whole thing. You park there, you leave your car for a week, you come back, you get and you go. Now they're trying to nickel and dime you for uh, for parking, and it's ridiculous, man. You seem to be suggesting that when the mob does things, they're not interested in the dollars. No, I'm not. I'm saying that I, I think that they... Like the, let Vegas used to run the mo- you run Vegas where it's like we know we're gonna make our money on the the table so we're gonna yeah. bring in Frank Sinatra and you only have to pay ten dollars to see him your hotel room is ten dollars a night because we know you're gonna drop three to four hundred dollars gambling and that's where they want to yeah. make their money at where suits yeah. are like everything like the Hard Rock like I went to Hard Rock it's like it's like twelve dollars for a Budweiser a Budweiser yeah it's crazy it's crazy it's crazy. So let's get into your book, man, The Samaritans. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, I, I, it's, a, it's a dark comedy about healthcare, um, which I find hilarious and terrible in this country. Um, and uh, it's set in a hospital called Samaritans in Washington, D.C., which is beset by rising costs and bad management, like most hospitals. And in, in an attempt to get out of their financial problems, they decide they're going to hire as their CEO um, the head of hotel operations from a Vegas casino <laughs> because he understands about check-in and check-out, beds occupied, dinners served. He knows how to fill a, a, a big institution with lots of rooms, and he has absolutely no interest in healthcare. He's just interested in making money. So that's what it's about. It's, it's about how healthcare has become uh, purely right. money-making operation. Well, in this country. I love and that the guy who owns it is a uh, purpose, which was to cure people. Yeah, I think it's great. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to cut you off, but the Las Vegas. I love that the it's um the 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 hospital is owned by a guy named David Super Soper. Soper, yeah. And yeah. I love that you have him as a billionaire arms dealer because we talk about that a lot on the show about how like the real money is in drugs. Uh, arms deal and oil and a lot of the stuff, especially like in Hollywood, how they determine everything. It's like I think people in Hollywood, the, the business of Hollywood is less about ratings and selling tickets and more about propaganda to sell more arms, to sell more drugs, to sell more oil and stuff like that. So well, I, I think it's another one of that. But in, in this case, uh, you know, he's he's the chairman of the hospital board because He's trying to, as he puts it, give back. So having making billions from other people's death and injury 
uh, all over the world. He's, he thinks it's good for his image if he's chairman of a hospital board. And uh, that's why he's doing it, yeah. You uh, you seem to have uh, you seem to be into satire a lot when it comes to your art. Um, why satire? Do you, because you're making you know with your favorite. A lot our listeners in America might not know the show. Yes, uh, minister and yes, prime minister, which made fun of you know the uh, the British government at the time. And you do that. You write this book. Why are why that type of art? What made you get into that kind of satire? Well. Satire, satire is a form of is is a is a mode of humour, which attempts to change things in society. So, uh, and and if art is is uh, how can I put this simply? If art is criticism of life, which I think it is, comedy is criticism of life by ridicule. So. What, what satire does is it looks at what, what all comedy does. It looks at institutions of society. It looks at marriage. It looks at the cops. It looks at the courts. It looks at the government. It looks at the church. It look, looks at every major institution, the military, and makes fun of it. And it, if you're a satirist, what you're actually hoping to do is it means you're a kind of hopeless moralist. It means you're actually trying to, <laughs> to, to by drawing attention to, to how terrible things are and by making them funny, you're hoping that people will do something about it. So I, I, we listen, I've listened to you on other podcasts and uh, read some of your stuff. Now, you had a very interesting one. What was it about Art Ryan that he had? It was a really good quote. Yeah, you, you said in another podcast, it was actually with your friend on, um, what was that? Pod? Something Inquiry. Yeah. Uh, oh, Inquiring Minds. Inquiring Minds, yes. If you guys, uh, yeah. you should check it out. It's a very good podcast. Uh, art is criticism life. Satire is criticism of life by ridicule. I mean, that's really yeah. gets to the base of it. And what people forget, which you uh, bring up, is 1984 was a satire. It wasn't designed as a manual on how to complete the the future, which right. it's become. Well, no, it's a dystopian book, but it's what it's saying is, and, and distressingly, it's coming more true every day, saying this is how the world is going. And Orwell was a satirist. He wrote a really funny little book called Animal Farm, which you probably know of, yeah. um, which is about how the animals take over a, a farm. And it's really it's a satire on the Soviet system of government and it was at the time of Stalin. Um, and But it's, it's, it's a funny book. Um, and, uh, you know, the... I, I like to use humor because I think otherwise it's boring. It's, I don't want to be boring and preachy. I want to entertain people. I want to make them laugh. But it's more it's more fun to make them laugh with ideas than just with you know jokes about the price of fish. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's kind of what we do. We're in completely different um, forms of media, but we find that if we can plant seeds and sprinkle it with a little bit of humor, they'll grow more than if you just give it the doom and gloom. Because That's exactly right. I try not to give it the doom and gloom. I think the doom and gloom is there for anyone who wants to who wants to read it that way. But but that's not my that's not the purpose. What I'm trying to do is entertain them. I mean, if you read Samaritans, it will remind you of I don't know what kind of books your readers your listeners read to read. But I mean, it's mostly like, penthouse forums. Okay, well, it won't remind them of that. <laughs> But it might remind them of Elmore Leonard, if they know Elmore Leonard, or Carl Hyacinth. You know, it's a book with sort of a certain velocity. It speeds through. It's funny. It's light. It's dialogue-driven. 
Um, you know, Elmore Leonard had a number of great rules for writing novels, of which I think the best is cut out the bits that people are going to skip. Yeah. Well, yeah, I get that. They do in comedy, too. It's all about stand up. It's all about trimming the fat. Get to it. Just boom, yeah. boom, boom. Now, you uh, satire you see a lot. What's your opinion on modern day artists right now? We don't really see an anti-war left. We don't I don't really know who who's the counterculture now. Like what what is counterculture now? Back in the day, the sixties and seventies, it was very anti-war, anti-establishment. Is that is there anywhere? It seems like everybody's co-signing everything that Washington is doing. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I I wouldn't think so. I think there's an enormous resistance to Donald Trump and his administration. Uh, I, I I don't think he won the election. I think it was. Uh, you know, there was so much voter suppression and and uh, and so forth, gerrymandering. You know, I'm not sure that in, a, in an actual Democratic vote that Trump would have won. I think he wouldn't have. But leaving that aside, there's plenty of people on the air who are expressing huge opposition, uh, and if that's what you call a counterculture. There's John Oliver, there's Saturday Night Live, there's Jimmy Kimmel, there's, you know, there's lots of people. Um, and... Um, uh, the problem with America, for some reason, is that satire seems to be only acceptable with late-night television shows. Yeah. They're the There's, only ones who are allowed to, like, question anything, huh? Yeah, after That's, 10 p.m. Questioning yeah. in other ways. Yeah. Which I find puzzling. Uh, were you a Hillary Clinton fan? No, but I voted for her. Okay. Why? Why? <laughs> is it just the lesser of two evils? Uh, absolutely the lesser of two evils, very much the lesser of two evils, but but I did have reservations about her. Right. I, I mean, I, 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 did, I gave a lot of money to Bernie Sanders' campaign. Now, did you think that, that that primary was at all, in like some interesting things went on with that? With which primary? The with, Clinton-Sanders primary? Yeah. Well, yes. I, I mean, once again, uh, it seemed to me that the California result was announced when there were still, I think it was between one and two million votes uncounted. Yeah. Democratic yeah. primary. Um, I think, uh, I, I, you know, I think Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's the chairman of the Democratic Party, had uh, had really organized things in terms of Hillary Clinton's success. I think there were about, I don't know, 15 or 20 Republican debates on television in prime time. And only four Democratic debates, and they were all on Saturday night opposite football games. So it was designed that nobody would really watch Bernie Sanders. So, yes, do I think the Democratic Party did its utmost um, to make sure that Hillary Clinton was the candidate? Yes, I do. And I think that was a huge mistake. You th do you think that might have uh, cost her a lot of votes and she lost a percentage of uh, the, the liberal I, and Democratic it, I, left? If it did cost her votes... That would be, that would have been foolish of the people who didn't vote for her because whatever you, whatever criticisms you may have had of her, there's absolutely no contest between her and Donald Trump, in my view. Okay. Um, okay. You know, so I mean, you, you know, you have to be practical when it comes to election. You actually can only vote for the candidates you've got. We got George W. Bush because so many idiots voted for Ralph Nader. Right. When he didn't have a chance of winning, that's not a very sensible thing to do. Um, 
the, 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 now your famous show in uh, England, which was Yes Minister, Yes Prime Minister. The ru- the rumor was that it was Margaret Thatcher's favorite show. Uh, yes, that, that was unfortunately true. Uh, now, <laughs> now uh, some of our listeners uh, might not know that much about Margaret Thatcher. Can you tell us a little bit about Margaret Thatcher so that they hear okay. your thoughts on her? Because I want to see how it relates to Hillary Clinton and if there's if uh, there's this not, notion. She's nothing like Hillary Clinton. Nothing? Nothing at no. all? Oh, no, not at all. She was very, very conservative. Uh, she was... Uh, she... She came to power in, with a major attempt to break the trade unions, uh, who were very powerful in Britain in 1979. Um, she, she was, um, it's hard to describe her really. She had no sense of humor. <laughs> she was, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I met her several times because she was indeed, to my great embarrassment, a huge fan of the program and told everybody. <laughs> now, how does that make you feel? I mean, obviously, you said it's embarrassing, but you know, in comedy, in music, you see that a lot. Like a politician will be touring and he's on election, and he'll play songs, and the bands will be like, "Hey, dude, don't play our song. Yeah. We don't like you. You, we don't give you the right to play our songs." Like, how does that yeah. make you feel? I take a different view of that. I think you can't choose your audience. I mean, uh. there are there are millions of people maybe hundreds of millions of people out there who see what I do one way or another. I can't select them. I can't choose them. It's not up to me. I can have my views about what they do just as they can have their views about me. Now, in the case of Margaret Thatcher, um, I, she was telling, I don't think she had a sense of humor, although it was a comedy show. I think politicians like to associate themselves with things that are very popular with the public. The show was enormously popular, and by telling everybody that it was her favorite show. It made her seem as though she had a sense of humor, and she felt it, and it ingratiated her with all the show's fans. Uh, there's a clear political motive for this. Um, I, I, I met her several times, and uh, I was invited to number 10 Downing Street, which was our equivalent of the White House, and I had dinner with her. And, um, and What was and that I, like? What was that like? It was, it was tense. It was tense. <laughs> And uh, I'm curious. I, I mean, I found it very interesting. I mean, um, that close to a power, someone who at the time was easily one of the most powerful people in the world. That's yes, good. she was. She was a great buddy of Reagan's, and she was immensely powerful. And uh, she had just had a successful war against the Falkland Islands, which was kind of like Reagan's war in Grenada. Yeah. The war you couldn't really lose. You're right. And, I mean, everyone talks about how America's got the greatest military in the world. Well, it's got the biggest, yeah, and it's got the richest, but somehow America hasn't won a war since 1945, so you wonder how great it really is. Well, sometimes but, I wonder if we're actually wanting to win the war and more, not just prolong the war in, a, uh, you know, in an empire-type, you know, attitude. Like, oh, yeah, we're invading, but, hey, we're going to hang out here for the next two decades. Well, yes, there's no question that the American empire is vast, and I think there are bases, American bases, in 180 countries at this point. But anyway, I was a, <laughs> I was given an award um, by some something that was equivalent to Jerry Falwell's moral majority, or whatever they call themselves. Oh, so uh, interesting. And and and, um, uh, and and Mrs. Thatcher was asked to present it, and 
and I didn't know how to get out of it. Um, and, I always uh, think about that. And and so, well, I, I, I she she presented me with the award, and I was on I was live on the air. Great many people, five hundred journalists in the room. I would say it was as if it was, it was like we just formed a had a Middle East peace treaty signed. There were so many people there. And we were on the air, and I said that uh, I wanted to thank Mrs. Thatcher for uh, presenting me with this award and and uh, for finally taking her rightful place in the field of situation comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and it got an enormous laugh. And after that, she didn't speak to me again, and I was never again invited to my death. So it worked. So it worked. That's such Because I think about that all the time. Like, there are people in this country that... I absolutely despise George Bush, Dick Cheney, and you know recently Ellen had Dick Cheney on, and I'm just like, what? How do you do that? How do you have somebody on that you know whether he was just a figurehead of it or had act, you know? Because I think the real brains was Dick Cheney, you know, and I think uh, he's yeah, the real one behind it. I, I agree with you. I think it's very difficult. I think it is possible to be friends with people and to get along well with people who you don't agree with. I do have conservative friends who I like, although I flatly disagree with them about many things. And I think democracy can't work if you can't get along with people who have different views. But there are some people whose views are so different and so shocking uh, that you have to draw a, a moral line somewhere. And I agree with you, Cheney comes into that category. I, well, it's not even that his views. I'm, I have tons of conservative friends. It's more about his actions and the results of these actions. And well, that's what I mean. The views lead to the actions. Yeah, a, for sure. led to torture. Yeah, uh, torture, um, bombing, uh, drone strikes. And an unnecessary war that should never have happened against somebody that we had no fight with. Yeah. Um, you know, um, yes. It's but that all comes from the fact that his views it was so... But so strange. It's that deep yeah, state. I, I find that uh, us Americans and the British, we have so much more in common than we don't, whether it's from our art forms that literally almost every great rock and roll band came from that tiny little island. And I don't know. I mean, Jimi Hendrix had to go to Britain in order to get famous, you know? Metallica did too. Metallica yeah. couldn't get any love in the United States. Bill Hicks was like that. He couldn't get any love in America, so he had to go to England, and he would just get mobbed everywhere he went. I don't even know why he'd come back, but he, yeah. And it's interesting because you guys were so much alike in ways that so much of America is, is conservative and very staunch, and when th people think of Britain, they think of very proper and prim, but I mean... I was raised on Monty Python. I remember like staying up late at night to see Benny Hill chase like half naked girls around. I, I was like, love that. who are these kooky bastards over there? And yeah. so I yeah. always hold so, in my, you guys have that essence of knowing that comedy is, is universal, you know? I think, I think you're right. I think it is universal. I think you're right about British rock bands. Though, of course, there are a number of absolutely great American rock bands too. Um, GNR, Leonard Skinner, the doors but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh there's plenty yeah um, you know uh, springsteen uh, i mean there's lots yeah uh, but but um and some of my favorite bands are, are american I mean, paul simon is, is great um i think randy newman is absolutely terrific um you know there are a lot of a lot of people on both sides of the atlantic i think we have a tremendous amount in common um but we i don't have much in common with with the, the more conservative parts of, of this country and 
And the conservatives are much more under control in Britain than they are here. Um, the evangelical thing here is sort of very different from anything we have it's in unbelievable. Britain. unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So, nobody, nobody, I mean, they, they, they don't have any real standing in Britain. People laugh at them. <laughs> well, here's what I find out about what my opinion on America compared to England, because I think you guys don't put up with as much as we do when it comes to our politicians. And I think the reason is we're a lot as a country, we're a lot younger. I feel like we're going through our growing phase, whereas you guys had to deal with royal families and, and all these wars over time where you guys learned the patterns of a of abuse and you could see it coming. Therefore, like your um your House of Commons is amazing. I watched that. You ever watch that <laughs> yeah. on C-SPAN? Yeah. It is like it's Congress meets your mama's competition. It's great. The main difference is that we don't respect our politicians. We don't think that just because you're elected to public office, you're entitled to respect. Yeah. We think you're only entitled to respect if you earn it. And that's very few politicians. So if you watch a television interview show, a polit political show, the interviewers are much tougher they don't accept all the bullshit that, that you hear um, from American politicians in which interviewers here on all the main TV shows don't actually question. Or if they do, they question it terribly carefully and very, very cautiously. Um, in Britain, the interviewers are ruthless. They just say, they just basically say, but it's not what you said, it's not what you believed, it's, do you realize that you said this here and now you're saying this there and that you can't believe both? And, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're quite rigorous in the way they interview people and the way that doesn't happen here. And that's what you see reflected in the House of Commons, too. I love but, it. Commons, in all fairness, House of, I mean, the House of Commons is very different from watching Congress on television. Oh, yeah. But, but in both cases, it's all, it's theater. Nothing is divided. Nothing is decided in the House of Commons. I love nothing, the theater of it. I love and it. And nothing decided in Congress. No, nope. uh, it's just that the House of Commons is a disrespectful theater, and the Congress is is sort of church-like. Yeah, I, I feel that you guys are just longer down the road, and I think we're going through our growing pains and. Just I think that people are starting to wake up that the mainstream media here really isn't doing their job like people think they are. They're co-signing on a lot of stuff, and they're not questioning. Now, a great example is something that your book covers, which is the healthcare industry. And uh, I, I find it very interesting because I talk about this all the time. Our healthcare industry is a racket. The, the last thing they really care about is healthcare, and it's really about profit. And uh, as someone who who used to live in England, uh, what is what is your thoughts about the biggest difference between the let's say European healthcare, British healthcare, and American healthcare? Well, the biggest obvious difference is a financial one, uh, in in a variety of ways. The biggest obvious difference is that American healthcare costs this country. 18% of GPD, that's that's gross domestic product. Yeah. In any developed European country, Britain, France, Switzerland, Germany, anywhere, it costs between 9 and 11% of GPD. Yeah. It's uh, uh, I'm sorry, GDP. So what that means is that healthcare here is slightly more than one third more expensive than in any other developed industrialized country. And that is money that is just taken straight off the top by the insurance companies and the pharmaceuticals. 
Yeah, in this so, country, you're gone, sir. Sorry. Well, no. Well, I mean that's that's the biggest difference. So you know, uh, healthcare is infinitely cheaper in every other developed country, and in all these other developed countries, everyone there is universal healthcare. That's not all a sort of Medicare for all system. Sometimes it's completely state organized, and sometimes it's a system of state and private insurance. But if it's private insurance, it's strictly regulated. And all the private insurance companies are not-for-profit companies, and that genuinely means not-for-profit. Um, whereas here, it is all about profit. Healthcare here is on a business school model, and the theory is that if you can't afford it, you shouldn't get it. Yeah. Now, I think that's absurd. I, mean, <laughs> I that's do too. It's like saying, if you can't, you know, if, you, if, if, if a burglar breaks into your house and you can't afford to pay the cops, don't call them because they won't come. Or if, you're, if a fire breaks out, you've got to pay the fire department or they won't come. I say or, that all the time. Yeah. Fact, if you want to flush your toilet, you'd better pay the city or they won't flush it. Now, the point is there are certain things that are public service. Yes. And, and People like socialism in certain things, but not in other things. They're cool with the military, the police and all. Socialism. It's social democracy. There's yes, I agree socialism. with that. You know, I mean, people are scared to death of socialism here, but what they associate that with Stalinism. Right. They associate it with with oppression and total lack of freedom. But that's not how it is anywhere in Western Europe. It's not how it is in Canada or in Australia or New Zealand. Um, it's people have plenty of freedom. They have the freedom to be able to afford health care without going bankrupt. You know that bankruptcy, um, the the the, the Main, the number one cause of personal bankruptcy in this country is medical debt. Yep. I, I, how, how can that be in a, in a civilized country? Today, my father texts me today, and I'm so blessed he has health insurance. He was in the hospital for four days, dude, four days. He wanted to leave earlier. They wouldn't let him leave. He finally got them to let him leave. Just got the bill today. Guess how much his bill was, Ryan? Four days. I don't know, seven thousand dollars. Fifty-four thousand dollars. My my father's bill was. Luckily, his insurance covered fifty-three thousand dollars of it, and I'm gonna send him some money because he's my dad, and I, you know, I want to help him out. But that number to me is ridiculous. And here's the thing: when you and talk, he got off lightly. Yeah, he did get off lightly. My cousin's, my uh, girlfriend's sister just passed away, and she got her bill for her sister, and it was like, uh, like. Three hundred thousand yes. dollars, and, and here's the thing: they often talk about uh, what the argument is from the rights and the people who are, I believe, are paid to squawk the the opposition is that let the free market uh, work it out, and uh, I think that's ridiculous. See, to me, free market is hamburgers. Okay, if I if I want a sixteen dollar hamburger, I can go find. A $16 hamburger. But if I can only afford a dollar hamburger, there's dollar hamburgers out there. That's free market. What's going on with your cell phones right now? Verizon Wireless having to give away free data because everywhere else was because their competition was lowering the price to get more, uh, uh, more customers. That's free market. Where is the free market in the healthcare industry? Where can I go for a cheaper version of this? People fighting for my dollar. It doesn't exist. Well, it exists in some places, but that's that that isn't the the argument about about a free market is that uh, unfettered capitalism doesn't work. 
Now, yes. capitalism works. It works better than communism. It works better than, than... It's a system that works, but it only works when it's regulated. It only works when it's controlled. It only works when it's fair. It only works when the government intervenes to make sure that people who are very rich and very greedy don't take everything for themselves. Right. That's, that's what makes capitalism work. It has to work for the people overall. And, 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 what, and what people, a lot of conservatives forget, is that when they don't want to pay workers properly, is that workers and consumers are the same people. Could so, not agree more. So therefore, if you don't pay the workers properly, they can't buy anything. If they can't buy anything, the economy doesn't flourish. Right. Nothing gets consumed, nothing grows, nothing, you know, you, you need consumption in order to make the economy function. And um, and it, it, capitalism is, is, not, is not a failure. It's not that it doesn't work. It's that it's, it's, that it's unregulated and uncontrolled and in the hands of of people who are only interested in making money for themselves. And that can't be the way any community operates. There has to be a sense of community. There has to be a sense of, of making it work for everybody. What, when and you, if you don't, you're going to get into terrible trouble in the end. I agree. When do you say that there's places to go for cheaper health care? Let's say my father. Like, what What are you suggesting? I'm. Where can you go? I would love to. I mean, like, we just well, saw... I don't know where you live, and I don't know where your father lives. And I he don't lives know in Arizona. I mean, but I mean, like the hospital. Where is a where is a counter to what the hospitals pay? I don't. I don't, I just don't see. Like right now in Washington, they passed a bill that said Americans can't go to to um cannot go to Canada and buy cheaper drugs. They have to buy their drugs here, and it's way more expensive. I don't. Where that's where? Right, but that's that's because government regulations and laws have been brought in to prevent. The free market operate right that's that isn't the free market that's that that's a problem with the free well that's market. what I, yeah that's what i think yeah. i guess we're agreeing on it i guess yeah, we're just that, coming from a different angle on it but it should be possible the drugs in canada are the same probably a lot of the pharmaceuticals that we buy here are actually made in canada they're certainly the same um and it should be perfectly possible to import them and buy them for about a tenth of the price here so that the, people can buy them for what they cost in canada but it's not allowed. Why? Because George W. Bush's government and Congress made a deal to benefit the pharmaceuticals so that they could charge whatever they wanted for drugs and nobody could interfere with that. That's not capitalism. That's not the free market. Couldn't agree more. That, that is um, monopoly. The, yeah. yeah. Prescription drug spending, annual spending for prescription drugs in the U.S. is estimated to rise 22 percent over the next three years, reaching 400 billion in 2020. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but, staying but most, in the, of, most of that is just pure profit. Yeah. I mean, Chris Rock said on Big Pharma when interviewed one time, he said, no money in the cure. The money's in the medicine. That's and, right. Well, and, you know, and, and when he was saying, where's the counterculture? Well, he's part of it. Yeah, of course. I mean, when you looked at someone, let's say, do you remember actress Brittany Murphy? Yeah. When she passed away, yeah. within two seconds, the news was an, was announcing her death. The first line they said, she died of natural causes. You're like, well, she's 20, like 40, 25 years old. She's having a heart attack. It doesn't make sense. Well, 
you know, when you watch the nightly news on uh, uh, your television, most of the commercials are, in fact, for, like, drugs. Like, hey, Tepitor, buy Tepitor for, you know, the weight loss, blah, 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 could cause this, this, and this, and this. Does anyone ever actually go to their doctor and go, hey, man, I saw this ad for Tepitor. Is it, would it be right for me? What? I often wonder that. Who actually goes to the doctor and says, I saw this ad. I don't think so. I think they go to the doctor, if they can afford to go to the doctor. They go to the doctor, and the doctor says, I think I should prescribe such and such. Yep. I th- you, say, you say, okay, can I afford it? And they say, well, maybe. I don't know. And if you can't, maybe there's a generic. I'll find out about that. And then if there isn't a generic, a lot of unfortunate people who don't have enough money go without the drug yeah. and die. I also believe that, that that whole thing is about controlling the message, too. If we buy, if my company buys three ads in that hour and your company who does pharmaceuticals buys three ads in that hour, now we have the block of uh, advertisement. If they run something we don't like, we can threaten to pull our sponsorship. And that that's how you control the message, in, in my honest opinion. You were going to say something. Well, you ever notice in the, one of the very first things they say in side effects, side effects include suicidal thoughts. I'm like, what? Just because you have Sometimes restless Sometimes the side leg. effects are worse than what you're trying to get fixed. You're like, okay, now I don't have a headache, but I'm suicidal and I got explosive diarrhea. What's going on here? And I know that a majority of the people that <laughs> listen to our podcasts are anywhere from like 18 to 35, but- don't get it twisted. One day you're going to need health care. One day you're going to need to be, you're going to be in the hospital. For me, we were saying, I don't have health care, but the only time I ever go to the hospital is when I break a bone or some shit hits the fan. And then when I do, I'm like, man, but I wish you, I'd. But you should have insurance because what if you walk, walk straight out of the studio and you get hit by a car? I know. Yeah. When we were researching this, I was like, I got to do something with my, I got to get yes. my life straight. I, Everybody has needs to have health insurance. The problem is that it's it's the system is is fixed here so that an enormous number of people can't afford it. I, I mean, under Obamacare, which was an improvement on what was there before, yeah. there were still 27 million people without health care insurance. And to put that in perspective, uh, I mean, they estimate that California's population is 30 million. No, that's just Southern California, dude. They're talking, that's from L.A. down to San Diego. That's it. Jesus. And that's, just think how many people live from L.A. down to San Diego, where it's just, I mean, we make cities up, but for the most part, it's just one giant city. When you get by those, uh, the two nuclear war nipples that were in the naked gun, you remember that? Yeah, that that little area's got no no city, but most of it's just complete city all the way down. That's a lot of people, man. That's a lot of, and you know. But uh, it's 27 million people in this country with no insurance. Now, that doesn't include all the people who've got some kind of insurance, but, who, but which doesn't cover them for various conditions. And it doesn't, and then a lot of other people who have got insurance, but who can't afford to buy the medications because the co-pays are so huge. Yeah, uh, deductibles to me is the biggest scam in the world. <coughs> Why am I paying this off? I'm paying a monthly thing to get covered. And you got to say, we only cover after a thousand dollars or two. Th- it's like, why? Oh, you should just cover it for five bucks. If I'm paying a monthly. This is the only country with this problem. With deductibles. Every other, country, every other Western developed industrialized country has universal health care. Everybody can get health insurance. Everybody is covered. 
there, there are lots of different ways of doing it, <laughs> but the, this is the only country with this problem. It, it's a bit like guns here, you know. It's, it's. I mean, there was a great headline in the Onion last week after that <laughs> terrible massacre in Las Vegas, when it said, I can't remember the exact wording, but it said, uh, nothing can be done about this as the only country where this regularly happens. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, one, I, I totally agree and, with that. You know, and, and, and the point is, this can this problem can be solved. It just isn't going to be solved so long as Congress is being in the pay of the pharmaceuticals and the insurance companies and the other vested interests who are giving so much money to members of Congress and members of the Senate that they have absolutely no interest in changing the system. I, I would be even happy if the government could even uh, negotiate with pharmaceutical companies. We can't even do that. They can't no. negotiate with them. Whatever price the pharmaceutical companies want to put out is the price we got to pay. That's why I'm saying there's no free market, man. There's nobody offering you alternative to these drugs. That's right. That deal was made under the George W. Bush government, and that's the way it is. A number that I got from uh, from some of the information uh, your publicist sent us uh, shocked me, uh, and I actually found that it was an uh, I, someone else said the number was even higher. But according to uh, some estimates, medical errors in this country, dude, a year. Guess how many people die from medical errors a year? Two hundred fifty thousand. That's and that was a low number. I found somewhere that said it's a thousand people a day. A thousand people. Maybe a low estimate. And it's the third largest cause of death in this country after uh, cancer and heart disease. Jesus. But I'm sorry for the doctors. I don't blame the doctors. The doctors have a terrible time. They're, most of them employ four or five clerks in their office just to argue with the insurance companies all day. Yeah. I mean, they have huge expenses. It's a very litigious society. If the slightest thing goes wrong, they're sued for millions. Yep. Um, uh, you know, it's a, I, I don't think being a doctor is an easy job here. I think there are some who are exploitative, but I think there are many who do their absolute best. And just want to help out, and then it's just a, a impossible situation. It's impossible. Yeah. It's the lobbyist. And uh, I found it interesting researching about your films and whatnot. Uh, you made a film called The Distinguished Gentleman with Eddie Murphy. And that's yeah. about a lobbyist. And yeah. in there, uh, in an interview that you gave, you're talking about how uh, Bill Clinton said, yeah, that's the way it is. I mean, our politicians shouldn't see a film that's dark comedy and be like, yep, that's it. Oh, I thought, probably thought it was a doc. That's what he probably no, thought. No. no, that was very interesting. Clinton, who had just been elected, saw the movie and came out and was seen on the news saying, yeah, that's the way it is in Washington. And he was going to be he was going to be inaugurated the following month, and I phoned Disney, who had made the film, and said you've got to get that clip into an ad and put it out everywhere, and they said no. Yeah, and I said why not? And it turned out their lobbyists in Washington didn't want that to happen because Disney is also represented by lobbyists, and they need lobbyists to you know to get Congress to build roads to to Anaheim, to Disneyland, and to Orlando. And they need all kinds of concessions, and they need copyright law expanded so yep. Mickey Mouse can go on being not in the public domain for another 25 years. And so the lobbyists said, no, 
And so they wouldn't use that quote from Bill Clinton endorsing the movie. Well, we've said it before that, you know, we think that, you know, the people who own pharmaceuticals, own the war companies, own the oil companies, own giant chunks of all these production companies and these, you know, these movie studios. And, you know, our fr- I had a friend, Andrew Santino, had one joke about back acne and uh, having to take drugs for it. And Showtime told him, take it out. That our, We are owned by pharmaceutical companies and they don't want that out. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I think there's parallels to your book with what's actually happening in modern day. Uh, I read about how it's a CEO of a, he used to be a, you said he was a Vegas guy and they bring him in to run the hospital. Well, Gary Loveman, former CEO and now bankrupt Vegas casino, Caesars Palace, has recently been appointed by uh, Aetna, Aetna? Yeah. To run its healthcare insurance division. I mean, he he bankrupts. Unbelievable. That, that happened while I was writing the book. I couldn't believe it because I I created this character who I thought was this sort of logical absurdity of you know a Vegas man who would be hired to run a major hospital in Washington D.C. And lo and behold, Aetna went one better. They hired a Vegas man from a bankrupt casino to run their entire healthcare division. On. Believable. Now we're just talking about how Hollywood filters out things. Do you see this, or have anyone approached you to make this book into a film, or is it no, too close to? Nobody has. I'm hoping they will, but I'm. I don't. I'm not holding my breath. Is it kind of? It's because too close to the vein of truth, huh? I, I fear it may be, <laughs> but um, uh, but you know, I'm 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 certainly hoping that somebody will. I think it would make a very good cable series. I think it would also make a very good movie. Um, but so, I mean, I have put out a few feelers, but so far uh, with no response whatever. It's just unbelievable. It's all like everything's intertwined, dude. And it's just like this guy. Well, didn't the guy who just somebody, uh, the the company that was in charge of protecting all of our like personal information just got hacked? Yeah. Equinox, what's it called? E- E-Facts? E- what was it called Aaron Equifax Equifax they just got hired by the government to protect our our, some crazy (laughs) ass thing the the exact thing they got hacked for now the government hired them to protect it's unbelievable to me there's like you know when I came into LA uh, there was a bunch of comedians who were known for stealing other people's jokes. And I just would watch and nothing would happen. And I'm like, is there ever consequences? And then the consequences came. Uh, is there any consequences for this cronyism? Jonathan, do you see anything ever changing or how does it change? I don't know. I'd like to know the answer to that. So many people uh, playing ball just for a check. I just don't get it. I just don't get well, it. Some people don't, but... Most people do. Um, it, it's it's kind of shameful. I mean, the way we watched the Republican Party all drop, fall into line behind Donald Trump, although they knew that he was a petulant, narcissistic two-year-old, but they all fell into line behind him. And, and, uh, and, and they've been supporting him and condoning him and pretending that he's not at risk of starting World War III. And, I mean, how... How much more dangerous can things get in the world when you've got him essentially tweeting provocations to North Korea about nuclear weapons? Unbelievable, nuclear. man. War starting. I've heard of Twitter wars. That war started on Twitter. 
I mean, this is it's a bit like Dr. Strangelove, what we're witnessing It here. really is, man. It's it, more like idiosyncrasy or yeah, idiocracy. Idiocracy, yeah. 100%, dude. And now he's talking about going into Venezuela, which is all petrodollar stuff. And so that if you go North Korea, Pe- Venezuela, we say here before, that's our eighth and ninth war. That only two of them have been approved by Congress. Those are Hitler numbers. When you hit nine, well, you're getting the Hitler numbers. You that, can't get Congress to take any interest in this. Obama tried to get Congress to approve the various wars he was conducting, and Congress refused to debate them. They refused to put them on the agenda. Unbelievable. Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell and wouldn't, wouldn't, Mitch uh, McConnell. you know, I know, he, he, he wouldn't put it down for debate. Well, some um, would say have that as much as damage that Trump's doing in such a short amount of time, he's the in a weird way, the best thing to happen to American politics because he illuminates the how it's all a facade. Like, no longer can you not say that it's not just a puppet because now after this presidency, let's hope that... Oh, it, now every bad celebrity wants to be a... Pol- a Kid Rock wants to be... Where's it going to stop? Guy Ferretti? What are we going to have? Well, Who else? It's not new. I mean, Ronald Reagan. Yep. yep. George Murphy. You know, I mean, there's, there's been no end of showbiz uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger there's been no end of of, of ignorant so celebrities ignorant so celebrities getting into government and, I'll say uh, what you and, want. And, and they're mostly very highly regarded I mean Reagan is, has a kind of godlike stature among the the, the, the Republican Party members and I, 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 I find that very puzzling yep and um, I mean he's been referred to as black Jesus I mean Obama definitely didn't make things better uh, he's, but at least he was able to be eloquent about it. Yeah, uh, like, you're gonna be... I, I think he made some things better. Yeah, and and I think he did his best. I I think it was almost impossible. There was a, mm-hmm. a, 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 it was agreed by the Republicans from the moment he won that they would not cooperate with anything that he did. So uh, you know he's only the president. Um, you can't presidents can't legislate. Congress has to pass legislation. And Congress refused, the Republicans in Congress refused to cooperate with Obama. I don't blame him for that. I think he did his utmost. Yeah, I think your book is, does a really good way of of just giving commentary to what's happening in our times with the healthcare industry. I mean, you kind of have a history of it with, I mean, not to end on it, but uh, my cousin Vinny, it was a commentary on capital punishment. It was. And it's I mean, I've heard you say that you've been asked to speak in front of like panels of federal judges and whatnot. Like, <laughs> I mean, when are we going to have to ha- we're going to have to have the modern Dr. Strangelove to understand that. Could you imagine if Winston Churchill was tweeting at Hitler like, hey, could you not bomb us anymore? Like, yeah. well, when are things going to change? What can we do? Where's the, the hope and the ray of positivity? Is there a silver lining? Well, the, I don't know. The hope is that uh, people, I hope people will read my book. I hope they will read lots of things with similar points of view. I hope they'll keep watching John Oliver and, and, and other people who have something to say. Uh, and I, and I, it, it has a very slow and gradual and slight, but eventually it, it mounts. Eventually more and more people begin to understand what it is that we're saying. Do you feel um, like people are waking up to what's happening around them? I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. Jonathan, 
Thank you wish, so much for wish responses for you guys, but I I I only ask questions. No, I totally keep making the art. That. Keep keep it up because we need people like you that are really shining the light on all these absurdities because that's what reality has become. Now, Jonathan, I want you to do, go on. To encourage people to buy my book. Please buy his book, everybody. Go buy Jonathan's book. Jonathan, before you go, this you podcast... You tell them what it's called. I, I have to do this for you. It's no, I, I said it several times, man. <laughs> Samaritans. We're going to tweet about it. We're gonna, That's going to be the name of the episode, man. We're going to tweet it, tell them where to get it, man. I'm oh, going to go buy it. I'm glad about that. I'm going to go buy it, buddy. That's how much I appreciate Amazon. you coming on our show. I'm going to go buy that book, okay? Good. I think, I think it'll make you laugh, and I think it'll scare the hell out of you. Well, everything else you've done, I've been a huge fan of, so I don't know why w this would be any different, man. So before we go, this podcast called Tinfoil Hat, it is a spiritual skepticism podcast. Some say conspiracy. We're not really into that. That word, we're more spiritual skeptics. We, we question the official narrative. So... With that said, I would love to ask you, if you don't mind, uh, your thoughts on the My Cousin Vinny Oscar conspiracy. Can I ask you about that and your thoughts about how people thought that maybe there was something behind Marissa Tomei grabbing it? She did an excellent job on that in that movie. She deserved the award. But I just had a fun. Uh, your thoughts on that, that, that there's this whole conspiracy with that. Uh, I, I don't believe it. I think... Um... I think she was an, an outside choice. She was the only um, she was the only actress up for the part who wasn't really famous. This was her first big movie role. Uh, all the others were very, very well known. Um, and I, I think I expected her to win. There you go. For the Oscars, I expected her to win. People said to me, what do you think her chances are? And I said, I think she'll win. Because the film came out in March, and it was now nearly the following March. And for a whole year, everybody had said to me, everybody said to me, who is that wonderful woman in your film? <laughs> That's what everybody said who saw the film. And it seemed to me that included among that would be the five or 6,000 Academy voters. Um, and that's what happened. And I, I, I flatly don't believe that she didn't win it. I think it was uh, nonsense. I love I it. I've always wanted to ask you guys about that, and I'm so thankful you came on and uh, was able to answer that. I think that's so awesome. Keep I think fighting the good fight. I thought she was great, and I'm happy I did she too. I really enjoyed it. I enjoy all your work. Again, his book is... <laughs> Samaritans, go check it out. I, I'm excited. I'm going to buy it tonight. I promise you that. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a, it was a real honor, man. I've been uh, enjoying your work for, for decades, and I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Very nice to meet both of you. Good thank luck you. with everything. Good luck with the book, and uh, take care, and I hope you get to make this into a movie, my friend. Thank you. Me too. Take care, Jonathan. Okay, bye. Jonathan Lynn, everybody. I thought that was a great interview. Aaron, thoughts on one, my interview skills? I mean, 
it's obviously a Skype, so he was you were cutting him off a little bit, but that's fine. I I you're doing your best, Sam. I cut, you're doing your best. He would take breaths. <laughs> I know he would like he breath. was about to stop. He's English, and then he would go he's, again, and I was like, "Fuck!" Dramatic pause. I mean, he's it's fine. No, it's totally fine. And I apologize, and I tried not to. I yeah, tried yeah. to time it. Yeah, yeah, no, you did. You did way better after the first. After say, the second, the two thirds, the yeah, th- the second two. You yeah. asked how I felt about your interview style. I didn't need to answer that. Okay. Uh, I don't think this is a conspiracy. I think this is a reality, and uh, and I totally agree with all of it. Well, it the was... conspiracy is, and he and I disagreed, is that there is there free market on that, and it's not. There's not free market. Yeah, there's no it. way this is and free And, you know, he's like, well, you can't go certain places. Where? I, 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 you can't. You can't get cheaper drugs anywhere. You can only get a cheaper doctor's visit. Like you either go to a real hospital yeah. or you can go to a clinic and pay sixty dollars, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this maybe podcast, that's what he means. This is an interesting interview because uh, politically, I don't, ag- I didn't agree with everything he said, but like I don't want to get on here and, and make it about challenging that. Like that's the weird thing about this show, and it's kind of finding its footing in that I'm not going to challenge everything on everything. I love the interview. I love I was I'm I'm so thankful that guy would come on our show. Yeah. yeah. His view of Hillary, I don't agree with. His view of Obama, I didn't agree with. But at the same time, I don't want to make the interview about that. Yeah. I want to make it about his book and the healthcare mm-hmm. industry. Oh, yeah. very reasonable uh I, it, I'm just an American. I guess whenever I hear a British accent, I'm like, oh, I'm like fascinated. I love They're David Attenborough. They're smarter than we are. Yeah, and the moment I hear mm-hmm. someone from the South, I'm like, just go put on your shit-kicking boots and go Let back. me ask you, Aaron, what time are we at? We're at 105. Okay. Okay. I, I want to say that I'm personally affected by all of this. Uh, I have a deadly allergy to uh, shellfish. Bad comedy? Uh, well, oh really? It. Yeah. So hmm. when I was diagnosed with that after having a couple reactions, you know, I got a two thousand dollar hospital bill for four hours in an emergency room. Unbelievable. And then Why I had to get a. Acceptable? I had to get an EpiPen, which was six hundred and fifty dollars to a thousand. The one that get the guy wanted me to get the talking one that takes you through the steps and it fits in your pocket so you can carry it everywhere. That's the best part about it. Crazy. Because uh, it's about the size of a pack of cigarettes, um, maybe smaller even. Uh, that was a thousand dollars. So I had to get, I had to get all these uh, discounts and things that I had to just scramble for, and still paid three fifty, uh, and expired. I don't know, eighteen months ago, two years ago. Jesus. So, so you're now just, I'm just kind of. It's ridiculous, man. I mean, and it you makes just avoid, no as, sense. avoid it as best you can. But yeah, if if I'm if my throat's closing up. What I don't have a shot. I'm really sorry about that, yeah. and I think that's bullshit. And I think that people don't realize that they they fall for the media and they fall for the fighting, and they don't realize that you know there's actually, and I wish I would have brought it up with them. There's actually the biggest concern people say, and then we're gonna get our five star reviews real quick. Um, the biggest concern is like, oh, if you do universal health care, people will show up and the lines will be forever. And then they always get that one Canadian or that one British guy that hate, bitches about the, the, the health care. Real quick, yeah. ask that person, we're going to take away your health care. You're going to pay for it. How quick would they be like, no, dude, don't take away my health care. Yeah, yeah. Fine. You don't want lines. Put a $60 pet. You got to pay 60 bucks to see the doctor, $100 to see the doctor. That way people wouldn't go unless they absolutely have to. The, the price of the fucking pharmaceuticals and the price of the operations, that shit should be covered. 
To actually go to see the doctor, fine. Put a $60 pay on that. Throw a $100 pay on that. That will keep poor people from just, or like just, no, I didn't mean poor people. I hate that I said that. But just people who are just hypochondriacs, who have headaches, who are going to see surgeons because they think they have a tumor in their head, you know? But yeah, generally speaking, anyone who's young or healthy is just, they're going to go as often as they do now, which is probably next to never once right. a year maybe for that physical so they always get one fucking canadian going oh i hate this yeah. shit and it's like that okay let's get into these let's start right here you want to read these real quick ryan we'll do as many as we can since we've been out of the uh, studio there's been a bunch of them if you go to your five st- go to itunes give us a five-star review we will read it you don't have to say anything positive you just gotta give a five-star review so yeah. here's all right this is five-star review must listen by trash Heap, give me a shout out. Well, there's your shout out, Trash Heap. They bring you down some crazy rabbit holes. Some have been very good possibility of being and uh, hey, what? Enlightenment. Okay, and next one. Let's get to the hot one. <laughs> You're infecting me with your ability to read. All right, female subscriber. Boom. By, by Bride. I love your podcast. I appreciate when you give us subscribers info, where to find sources so we can dive down the rabbit hole ourselves. I love binge listening to you guys and keep up questioning everything. Get some more female conspirators. I mean, get, give Dude, us. We're going to. We have two, Vanessa and Rachel. So we'll keep going. Yeah. Give Nothing us more. far from real. Five-star review. him. Some things I've heard on here I knew. However, certain things that I heard have as research been fairly true. Okay. Love you guys. Thank you. Can't read all. You guys did long. Enjoyed the latest. Horsecock the Warlock. Thank you. You guys should do more true crime episodes. Which we're gonna do, dude. We're gonna do stuff with our friends, crime with two eyes. We're gonna Three do Three Eyes. Three eyes? Was there a two eye one? Crime. Oh crime. Truth be out there. Keep digging. BWC man. Awesome show covering many different subjects. Thank you, buddy. My favorite podcast. Thank you, 225 Tim. We appreciate My favorite part of the podcast is when they read the five-star reviews at the end. I love Really? At the end, that's your favorite part? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Usually it's when we yell Aaron Thoughts. Uh, <laughs> For Shizzle by Rick Dizzle. Uh, wow. Just when keep, I stumbled upon the show, I felt Sorry. as if my tinfoil hat got stuck on... By lightning. What was that? I was going to say, keep in mind that I have these up on the screen so they can read along. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. But not everybody's, uh, more people listen. Yeah, I know. It's Okay. It, and so it's you owe me an small, apology. It's small Thank print, you. but I'm just saying like every time you make a mistake, people can see where. Fine. Fine. Read along with the retarded. That's what this segment's called. Read with the retarded. Entertaining, entertaining as heck. What's that? Torku? Who knows? Yes. Look. Tortuga. I'm just trying to get a handy from a lizard person. I request that. I hear they give great hand jobs. By the way, half the economy of Las Vegas is just hand job massage parlors. There's literally, like how we have Starbucks here in Chase Banks, they have hand job places. There's always a picture of this sad Asian chick looking to give you hand jobs everywhere. I got a little tie in for our medical segment. Uh, Sam's uh, been avoiding this. He needs to go get a, a colonoscopy. So I'm going to have him podcast while they're inserting the three foot camera up your up my butt. Yeah. So you're just going like, to just play by play on it. That's just rude. Good luck. 
Good luck. Five-star review. The five-buck box from Taco Bell is great. I appreciate your honesty. Best <laughs> five-star review uh, by Magaline, M-A-G-I-L. Uh, these guys, okay, I don't want rival JRE and entertainment information value. We love Joe Rogan. Without him, uh, I would be homeless. Um, <laughs> that's the truth. Making Me a Believer by Russell Brain. Your podcast has really brought some things to my attention that I heard rumors about and saw in a doc. But the way you guys give a mixture of humor and seriousness into a podcast is outstanding. Keep up the good work, fellas, 100%. By the way, one of my favorite moments was when we made Jonathan laugh. He laughed a couple times. That's a British fucking dude laughing at our fucking knuckle-dragger comedy. And speaking of laughing, if you guys have not seen the stand-up comedy do- documentary called Dying Laughing. Have you watched it? Yeah, it's good. It was good, right? You gave me some good advice in there that I've taken to heart. Really? So check it out. Sam's in there. I mean, shit, Jamie Jamie Kennedy's in there. Jamie Foxx is in there. I Jerry don't think Seinfeld. Jamie Kennedy's in there, but Jamie Foxx is. They're all yeah. the same to me. It's on Amazon if you have Prime. You oh, go. really? Yeah. It's not on, uh, oh shit. I got it, I got it. No, it's fine. It's not on Netflix yet? That makes no, me sad. Not yet. Do you think it will be? Eventually, I'm sure. I mean, that's not a question for me. I hope it goes on. Why not? Because I, I have nothing Guys, to do with it. this has been a great podcast. Next week, I'm super excited. We have actually the creator of the Truth Chamber on, on YouTube, and she's going to come in, and she's going to talk to us about does... Donald Trump have a time machine. And a lot of you guys have been asking about a Las Vegas uh, episode. We will do it. We'll figure it out. Aaron's not comfortable with it. So we'll probably make it. A- and Ryan's not comfortable with it. So maybe I'll just do it with Tate Fletcher. And he has somebody who's there who wants to come on and talk about it. Uh, I'll respect uh, I just was in Vegas. It was by far one of the hardest weeks doing stand-up. Not only did I have to do it while that tragedy, but uh, also on top of that, someone I love very much, Ralphie Mae, passed away. Um, was not unexpected, but still sad when someone can't. Um, when somebody so young passes away so early. Uh, but I got to be honest with you, I was at the L.A. Comedy Festival, uh, L.A. Comedy uh club and the crowds were so amazing matt markman all the local comedians came and they hung out the whole week and it was uh it would it made an incre- uh, completely unbearable weekend um it got me through it man the crowds were some of the best i've ever seen and i'm so thankful to everybody i'm so thankful to matt joaquin all at the club uh and all the staff and all the comedians who came out you made a very hard week uh, bearable. So I love you very much to everybody in Las Vegas. Thoughts and prayers. Any thoughts, Ryan? No, it's been good. Thanks, guys. I appreciate everything that you send to us at tinfoilhatpod at gmail. Keep on sending some ideas for future uh, conversations and future episodes. And whatever you guys want to see on Patreon, tell us, man. We're going to start doing that stuff, okay? We love you guys. Oh, thank you, Paint Minnesota, for the $50 love on um, uh, PayPal. Go to tinfoilhatpod at gmail if you just want to make a donation. We're so thankful. You guys are the best. Love you guys. And go, man. Tomorrow's the big live swapcast between the com- uh, tinfoil hat and, and higher side, side chats. chats. We love you guys. Hope to see you at the Ice House tomorrow. Go to icehousecomedy.com. Take care, everybody.